to see all of you here. Some new faces. My name is Pastor Justin. I also say that for podcasters because tonight got a whole lot going on down here. So I might, I, I'll listen to myself later and be like, wait, that was me? But uh, it's good to have you here. We're celebrating tonight with a lot of what we just saw on that screen. We're speaking tonight about freedom, but we're going to have, we got an abbreviated service going on right now. I'm happy though. I got a full 30 minutes. So I'm happy up here, but uh, there's pizza, like they said, that just got here, right? It's ready to be eaten, so I'm not going to take too long because we're going to have some fun. We got inflatables out there. We're going to show a movie. There's going to be more people showing up. So is it all right, though, with an abbreviated service? i jump right into the word. Is that cool with y'all? We just go right to the word. It's 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And just as you turn there, just even just reflecting now, just that powerful moment of communion we had. We celebrate this weekend uh, an awesome moment in history. We're going to have a lot of fun celebrating it from tonight through fireworks on Monday. But what we celebrated at those tables through communion, there's nothing more powerful we could ever celebrate. Nothing that happens in history from here on out will ever touch what Jesus did on the cross and the way we get to celebrate it week in and week out here. So I hope you're excited to be in church. And if you found your way to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is what the the passage says. It says, this is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now that's a powerful passage. There's a whole lot of truth just in what we just read. But that first sentence speaks to a simple truth about God and about light. There's no darkness in it. The amplified version of that same verse puts it like this. God is light. He is holy. His message is truthful. He is perfect in righteousness. And in him, there's no darkness at all. No sin, no wickedness, no imperfection. So that's a basic truth about light and about our God. There's no darkness in it. But another basic truth about light is that light is complex. It's complex. And living like Christ, or as John says in his epistle, living in the light also can be complex at times. But I believe that light's complexities can speak to life's complexities as we walk in the light. We talked last week. I tried to describe a prism last week. Some of you were like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Some of you look like I was an alien with three heads. But this is a prism. And when I was a a kid, I I would play with it, like I said, maybe just minutes at a time. But you put it in a window. It refracts the light. It bends the wavelength so that it produces rainbows. Now, as a kid, that's pretty cool. Honestly, it's still pretty cool. I might have been playing with it before service. But that's a prism. And if you throw those colors of a rainbow on a color wheel, then you've got what are called complementary colors, colors that are on the opposite side of the wheel, colors that are on different spots on the spectrum because they have different wavelengths. And if you take that color wheel and you've ever been in an art class or interior design or anything along those lines, you know there are complementary colors that are on the opposite end of that wheel. So we talked last week about how when scientifically you take two complementary colors, push them to their full intensity, it produces white light. And we talked about last week about how God is light. And in him there are often complementary characteristics that together, not separate, show us the fullness of who he is. Last week we, we started with the game, Would You Rather? I mean, you guys have played the game, Would You Rather, before. Would you rather do this or that? One of them from last week was, would you rather have a head the size of a tennis ball or a watermelon? Um, 
random one. Would you rather have super speed or super strength? Something along those lines. Where you have a choice. You have to choose one and let go of the other. And the point was this. Sometimes we play those games with God, with his characteristics, with his truths, where we can position one against the other as if it's an either-or choice, when really it's and-or. But we create forced decision and false choices. And maybe you're thinking, what are you talking about? Well, last week, we started this whole series with the idea of grace and truth. And you look at our culture, you look at its needs, and some people would say we need to champion truth. And sometimes they do that at the cost of grace. And then you get on the other side, again, the people that are all about grace. And sometimes they do that at the cost of truth. But we realize, looking at Scripture last week, that Jesus himself says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He had his hand firmly on both, one in each hand, grace and truth. Romans 5, 8 we looked at where it says, while we were still sinners, the truth, Christ died for us, the grace. But when we make black and white issues out of complementary truths, making what's complementary contradictory, holding on to one where we should champion both, we'll fail to give God the glory he deserves, that he should have. The main point of this series that we're going to work through this summer is don't put an or where God has put an and. Don't live under the tyranny of or where God has already shown in Scripture and in your life that he's big enough for both. You know, again, we're celebrating this weekend, July 4th, freedom from tyranny. Celebrating freedom, independence, self-autonomy. And this plays into a a fear-filled question that often keeps so many from the faith, and it's This simple question, does faith in God free me or restrict me? This idea of freedom versus restriction. Because we believe in one true God. We believe in Jesus who said he is the way, the only way, that it's a narrow path, a narrow gate. Does that restrict me or free me? Certainly it can't be both. Or can it? But if you've ever had a conversation with somebody who who is weighing this and they maybe don't believe in God, you might hear something like this. Absolute truth is restricting and it endangers people's freedoms. The idea of one truth fits all, that there's only one way it's restricting, it's confining. Or you might have heard somebody say that Christians don't think for themselves. Each individual should determine their own reality. So what is it? You know, there's this fear of restriction. And again, Independence Day itself is a holiday that commemorates when we as a nation broke away from restrictions that endangered freedom and stepped into independence. July 4th, 1776 is is the marking of the Declaration of Independence, the document that declared this as they signed it and ratified it, that they were no longer part of the British nation. In it, is what some historians would say and argue is the most significant sentence in the English language, the most well-known sentence in the English language, and it's this, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by who? Their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, a random fact, you copy and paste that into words, you get one of those green squiggly lines. Because it's in the passive tense. Too bad Thomas Jefferson didn't have that. But that's an English major problem right there. I don't, the most well-known sentence in the English language. Would it look different if Thomas Jefferson had word? Things that English majors think about. But tonight, with the Declaration of Independence at the heart of our weekend celebration, uh, I want to turn to the reestablishment of a nation in the Old Testament out of our Bibles. It's in the book of Nehemiah. 
chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn towards the middle. It's before Psalm, before Job, before the wisdom books. It's a couple books in. The book of Nehemiah, we're going to be in chapter 9. You can turn there or swipe there. But as you're getting there, to give you a little background, at about 445 B.C., Nehemiah had brought a group of Israelites from captivity in Persia back to Jerusalem. Together, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in spite of tremendous opposition from neighboring peoples. The account of the wall being built, it ends in chapter 6. Then chapter 7 gives a brief genealogy. But then in chapter 8, the people of Israel, they ask their spiritual leader, Ezra, to read them the law of Moses, which for them was the Bible up to that point. And that was precious to them. You know, Steph just talking about the privilege we have in this country. Like, they didn't, a lot of them couldn't read. A lot of them didn't have a copy. There weren't many manuscripts of the Bible at that time. So this was a privilege for them to hear from the mouth of Ezra everything that God had said to Moses. This, this wasn't 10 minutes. This was probably hours. But just think about the, the privilege it was for them. And just even studying that this week, thinking the privilege I have every morning when I take a cup of coffee in one hand and my Bible in the other. For me, it's not either or. It's both. <laughs> coffee and the Bible, that's a privilege. It's an honor to, to be able to do that. So that's one of the things we're celebrating this weekend, and that's a complete rabbit trail. But it says that the priest carefully read, and it says the people listened closely to God's law given to Moses. And they're grieved by how far they'd missed the mark. So in chapter 9, we're finally getting to Nehemiah chapter 9, they confess their sins through fasting and worship. And Ezra, he leads them in a prayer that recounts their history from God's creation through Abraham, through the nation of Israel, and their history since. And finally, in, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, the people respond in a powerful verse. They say, in view of all this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. On this sealed document are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. So they put together a document to make it a renewed covenant with God, to promise obedience. And it's, it's telling because in Ezra's prayer in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 29, is, is this verse that's key to this declaration. Chapter 9, verse 29, talking about their nation's history, it says, You warned them to return to your law. But they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed your commands. They did not follow your regulations by which people will find life if only they obey. By which people will find life only if they obey. See, this vow they were making, it was one of obedience. It was, in essence, a declaration of dependence, dependence on God. It was a vow that in our day and time might be viewed by our culture as restrictive. But this was no rash decision. It was decided after generation after generation. Looking at their history, they'd come to realize a complementary two-sided truth. And the first side of this truth is this, that free acts can restrict you. Acts committed freely can rob you of your freedom. Where there's no boundaries, you can end up in bondage. Because you, you can ignore commands, but you can't ignore the consequences. We say it all the time. You can ignore the commands, but you can't ignore the consequences. And I can co-sign to this truth because I spent my youth, teenage years through college, just, just pursuing whatever. No rules, no moral compass, just whatever my, my flesh desired, I would go and do it. So lust graduated to pornography, alcohol graduated to alcoholism. And it wasn't just because of an addictive personality, which I had, but because decisions made freely, without truth, without morals, they can rob us of our freedom lead you right into bondage when there are no boundaries. See, I bought the lie that freedom 
is an absence. It's an absence of constraint. That freedom is an absence of restriction. That freedom is an absence of boundaries. That freedom and restriction couldn't go hand in hand. That they were contradictory, not complementary. That it was either or, not both and. It's the stance that we so often cling to in our culture. But the other side of that coin that says free acts can restrict you is this reality that restrictions can free you. How many of you guys are excited for the Olympics in Rio coming up this summer? Yeah. Not, Wayne, short, not even the soccer. You're just not looking forward to us getting beat up and down the field? Yeah. But wait, well, what's great now, though, is what is it? It's the trials where Americans are competing against Americans, so no matter what an American wins, that's cool. But uh, I was getting, uh, what's the movie tonight? Zootopia. It's a good thing I know that, right? I, I saw, what was it, the movie about Jesse Owens that came out recently? Race? Something like that? Haven't seen that. It's been so long since I've seen Chariots of Fire, I can't remember a lick of that. Never saw Miracle. There's a, there's a lot of Olympic movies, Blades of Glory. Haven't seen that, right? <laughs> but I do own Cool Runnings, though, so that's, that's something to brag on because that's hard to find. We had to search the Internet to get Cool Runnings. But you've got, like, right, this team from a random country where you're not expecting to find a bobsled team. And uh, just a, a moment of participation, right? I found some countries that are competing in the Olympics that are far out there. There's four names of countries here. See if you can tell me which one isn't a real country. Just random countries from the Olympics. The first is Nauru. The second is Florin. Third is Brunei Darussalam. The fourth is Republic of Chad. I'll go through them one more time. First is Nauru. Second is Florin. Third is Brunei Darussalam. And the fourth is the Republic of Chad. Who thinks that Nauru is not a country? Who thinks that Florin is not a country? Who thinks that Brunei Darussalam is not a country? Who thinks that the Republic of Chad is not a country? So, Florin is the one that's not a country. It's actually from Princess Bride. How many of you guys are like, that's from Princess Bride? Yeah, yeah, So, that's actually from a movie. Brunei Darussalam is actually not far from India where we're adopting it in Southeast Asia. They got a swimmer and a track star that are taking part in the Olympics. And you think of these Olympic athletes about how they don't get to that level of skill. They don't get to that level of fulfillment of their potential and purpose without some restrictions, without losing hours of sleep to get up and grind. I can remember when I was in high school and it was like the Winter Olympics. They were talking about figure skaters who got up at 3 in the morning to beat everybody else to the rink. I was like, I'm not about that life. And that's why they're at the Olympics and I'm not. Because they embraced those restrictions. You know, when they talk about these athletes or they interview them, the word sacrifice will get thrown around a lot. They sacrifice time, sacrifice relationships, sacrifice energy to hone their skill. They were restricted so that they could thrive at that skill. You know, restrictions can free us to reach our potential. It's true physically, and it's also true spiritually. But that doesn't mean that discipline and restrictions and, and discipline can qualify me for, for anything. You know, a, a sport that I like more than any in the Olympics is, is football. National Football League, and there are men that play football called offensive linemen who are much bigger than I am. I'm 5'9 with shoes on, a buck 70 wet, and no matter how much discipline I gave myself to, to, to putting on weight, I'm never going to be able to push around a guy who's 6'5", 350 pounds and can, like, move my car with one arm. So sometimes no amount of discipline, no amount of restriction will get you there because the potential isn't there. You know, Timothy Keller he makes a profound statement. It's in his book, uh, The Case for Christ, or Reasons for Christ, whatever. Timothy Keller. 
He says, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, those that fit our nature and liberate us. Freedom is not so much in the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones. And in this book of the title, I Cannot Remember, he gives this example of a fish. Because a fish absorbs oxygen through water and not air, therefore it's free only when it's restricted to water. Like a fish isn't like, I'm free up on land because that's painful for them. They'll die on land. The beauty is finding where you're free under the right restrictions. Our goal in life should be to find the freeing restrictions, the boundaries that give life. And we find them in God, our creator and our king. You know, the nation of Israel realized this and they made this declaration of dependence on God. You know, just one last example of restrictions that bring freedom and bring life is love. Think about love. The way to increase in intimacy is to decrease in independence. You want to increase in, in, in intimacy with another person, you're going to give up independence. You gain fulfillment when you forego autonomous freedoms. You know, we mentioned Princess Bride. To me, it's one of the most quotable movies ever, but don't tell youth that. Uh, we had a, the Nawatnis in here, they're probably out serving. Oh, yeah, Laura will remember. We had a, a movie night six, seven, eight years ago. Y'all might have been there at their house, and we tried to play Princess Bride, and the kids were like, what is this? Like, this is terrible. And we're like, are you serious? And yeah, it's, but to me and to many of you, great movie, hilarious, highly quotable, quotes for days. Uh, there was actually a thread Nate Nwadney started about. There should be a sequel, and it was just comment after comment that were quotes. But one of the quotes from that movie that's not as hilarious as it is deep and profound is that, uh, Wesley would say to her after she would ask for something, as you wish, as you wish. And it says in the movie that that day she was amazed to discover that when he was saying, as you wish, what he meant back was, I love you. And even more amazing was the day she realized she truly loved him back. See, love is saying, as you wish. I'm foregoing my own liberties because I want you to be happy. I want you to be loved. It's that way with people and it's that way with God. Will we embrace restriction to achieve deeper intimacy? I'll give up my independence in ways so that I can have a deeper intimacy with you. We surrender sacrifice and give up freedoms for the one we love. And, you know, the beauty of marriage is when that goes both directions. You know, you've probably heard the quote before, marriage isn't 50-50. It's 100 in each direction. It's 100-100, 100%. And the danger when it gets hurtful, dehumanizing, is when that only goes in one direction where one person is doing all the giving, the other is doing all the taking. And that's where we see, it's not a marriage, but the relationship between America and Britain when America broke off was because there was not this exchange. There was taxation without representation. Yes, the tax was on tea, but just think about it for a second. Imagine if there was some country opposing us that put a tax on coffee so high that it was hard to get. We would have a militia overnight ready to go to World War III, right? So just substitute that, and you're like, yeah, I could see why this was serious. So America, not just because of the T-Tax, but because of other things, right, revolts to free itself from a harmful one-way relationship, writing the Declaration of Independence along the way. And no doubt, I think a lot of people think they're taking a similar step when they reject God. Because Jesus, as the one way, is restricting, seems insulting, and a threat to our enlightened humanity. It seems like we do all the adjusting. We accept all the restrictions. We adopt all the commands while God is almighty and sovereign and self-sufficient up in the sky. 
That's what it seems like. And while this may be true in some religions, Christianity obliterates the idea that God doesn't or hasn't adjusted to us. Because at the heart of the Bible, the heart of Christianity, at the heart of the gospel, and at the heart of the good news is Jesus Christ, his incarnation, stepping down from the almighty throne of heaven into limited flesh and blood. The reality is that God already adjusted to us, for us, surrendered his life for us, died for us while we were still sinners, still takers. Jesus essentially said in the incarnation that I'll adjust to save you. I'll limit myself to love you. I'll restrict myself physically in flesh and blood so that you can be free spiritually. When we truly grasp that grace, when we truly grasp that step that that Jesus took, we realize that any adjustment we make, any restriction we command, any commands God gives us, that's such a small step in comparison. And you know what? It's not a step into restriction that confines us. It's a step into restriction that frees us. Boundaries that boost our growth, discipline that helps us tap into our potential. You want to know your design, your potential, your purpose? Talk to the one who created you. You want to know the design of an object? Go to the person that made that object and say, what is this for? You want to know why you're here? Pursue God and you'll find out. And to point again to the supreme ethic of love, is, is any man that's taken the step from bachelordom to married life knows that sometimes when you leave behind some bachelors that don't also get married, they'll be like, bro, she's like your ball and chain, right? You gave up your hobbies. You gave up time spent with us. You've given up time playing video games, fantasy football, whatever, so that you can be with her. She's, she's your ball and chain. But from the outside, it might look like that. From the outside, it might look restrictive. It might look like, like a weight. But you realize when you're in that relationship, the beauty from the inside, you know, you've given those things up to discover life and love. You won't find any other way. My relationship with Christ is no different. I give up freedom, and I find my freedom in him. You know, if I could close, Rich is going to come up and just play the keys as I close. It says in Romans 6, verse 22 in the Amplified Version, it says, but now, since you have been set free from sin, and have become willing slaves to God, you have your benefit, resulting in sanctification, which means being made holy and set apart for God's purpose, and the outcome of this is eternal life. In this verse, we see both and. We see freedom, freedom from sin and death and its penalty, and yet we also see restriction, willing slaves to God. Obedience, dependence, it's not either or, it's both and freedom and life and purpose. It's found in both. You know, freedom without boundaries, again, I found in my life it can lead to bondage. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. When there's no moral compass, no truth you're living your life according to. When you realize that boundaries are a blessing because what you prize, you'll protect. Boundaries are a blessing because what you prize, you'll protect. God prizes you. And he created you with a purpose, created you with a destiny, created you with with love in his heart for your life and he wants to protect that and he gives us boundaries he gives us commands that don't just they don't hinder us but as we walk this life they accelerate our growth they propel us in our relationship with God but again boundaries are a blessing because what you prize you'll protect God prizes you God created you with purpose you have value because God created you in his image 
But there's a powerful step you take in life when you say, I don't want you to just be my savior. I want you to be my king and my father. You know, the Bible talks about that as adoption, where you step up under God as your father who loves you. How many of you guys know your father also can tell you what to do? Because he puts you on this earth and can take you out. He created you. He might tell you that, right? But if you're here tonight and you've never done that, you've never said, God, I, w- I want the freedom that the cross purchased for me. God, I want the, 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 I want the commands because I know those will help me find life and help me find purpose. You've never given your life to, to God and said, I want you to be my father, my savior, my king, my creator. Then just this moment, as we're all here, Rich is playing the keys, we're all praying. Just if, if where you are, you'd lift your hand because I want to pray for you tonight. Because Jesus came full of grace and truth so that we could live a life that's free in our pursuit of God. So, you know, for all of us here tonight, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11 through 13 in the message version says this. It says, dear, dear, now you can fill in the blank with your name, dear Justin, dear Steph, whatever it may be, dear, your name here. I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. You know, when you open up your Bible in the beginning, it has the story of Eden, and God created this expansive creation for Adam and Eve to enjoy. And I asked myself, did they ever explore it fully? Did they ever walk the the width and breadth of this creation or did they spend this time around the tree that God told them not to partake in? You know, living openly and expansively, experiencing the life that God has for us means that we'll close some doors. Freedom is found in restriction. So just as we close tonight, and we go out and we have fun, but come on, we want this word to change the way we live tomorrow, next week, the next year. What door is God asking you to close? What door is God asking you to close? You know, the Israelites realized in their declaration of dependence that people will find life only if they obey. What freedom in life is God calling you to step into through a life of increased obedience, even increased restrictions? So let's ask ourselves that question tonight. What door is God asking us to close so we can open up our lives and live openly and expansively? Lord God, I thank you for each person that's here tonight. Lord God, I I truly do thank you that we live in a country where we're free to come together and worship you and and, and hear from your word. God, cherish your word, praise your name, bring you glory, and then go out, have pizza, have fun, Lord God. We thank you, God, for the freedom we experience here in America, but we thank you, God, for the freedom that we experience spiritually only through the blood of your son. God, we, we celebrated communion tonight, and we declare that the blood of your son is precious. Your son's life was precious. God, it is our treasure. It's our hope. God, you're our king, and we love you. And God, we want to glorify you with our lives, not just here on a Saturday night, but out on that field next week as we go back to work, as we enjoy our, ourselves away from here, Lord God. Go with us. God, let your spirit, God, challenge us, grow us, convict us, encourage us, whatever it is we need. The reminder of your love, the reminder of your truth, whatever it is, Lord God. Bless us and keep us this week. In 
in Jesus' name. Show us the doors that you would ask us to close so that we can walk openly and expansively in all you have for us. And everybody said, Amen. <coughs> I made it. Made it to the end. Finally coughed. But hey, we did have a, a shorter service tonight because there is pizza right out those doors. We're going to have fun tonight. We're going to watch a movie on an inflatable screen. We got inflatables outside. We're going to jump around in. But if you're going out, the kitchen is back there. The fellowship hall is back there. You're just going to go straight out those doors. To the left, if you ordered a pizza for your family, you're sharing with your parents, your siblings, whatever, your name will be on a box in there. But th there are so many pizzas out there that we're, we got so much. So if you're a visitor here, eat like half a pizza. Don't be scared. There's 24 slices on each one. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to eat together, have fun together, watch a movie together. But uh, we're going to have a little fun before the 4th. All right? Well, yeah. We're going to head right out those doors. We'll see you outside. Take care.